got. Let's rock. Alright, this is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming from. 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And, like, you know, what. And especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. Alright, this is Speaking Educationally with. Uh... Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Oh, jeez. Rust. Get the rust <laughs> on. All right, it's season four. I'm calling it season four. I didn't tell you, Dina and Gerard. Season four, episode one. <laughs> I, am, uh, I, I, I was just so happy to hear the music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do we want to do a quick update, and then we'll, you can introduce our special guest? What do you want to do? Sure, sure. All right. Who wants to go first? Um, yeah, Gerard, you never go Yeah, first. Gerard, you go. All right, I'll jump in just while we've been away, just adjusting to uh, principal life and, you know, the different school year that w- that is upon us. But it's exciting just trying to get fully staffed. I have three people out on maternity with one of them not covered. And it's just it's just been a lot covering. But the the upside is I have a lot of not a lot, but significant new key people to my team that I kind of get to that are new to their role. I kind of get to train from scratch. So like they have like nothing preconceived, which that is exciting. That's awesome. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I used to tell my staff that they weren't allowed to get pregnant while they worked for me. That was not a funny <laughs> joke. But I would say in staff meetings often. I was like, just, by the way, just a reminder, no one's allowed to get pregnant while you work here. Um, so anyway, um, what have I been up to? Um, I have a new role. Um, definitely awesome in trying to figure out some of the things that are going on within the systems that I work under. And really excited about just the journey ahead. It's definitely a lot of new learning for me every day, which is something I have not had that experience in a while because I was kind of, I'm not going to say stuck, but I was doing something for a long time and I kind of knew it and went through the motions and it's exciting for me to be in a new role in education as a supervisor in, in technology. So, Dina? Um, well, I also have a new role, which is, it's a role I've done before, but um, I am splitting time between um, being in the classroom as an English teacher, so continuing that role, and then also working as an instructional coach. Um, so, and I'm one of 18 um, students who are a part of the principal preparation program cohort. So nice. that, which has been fantastic. And I'm, I am learning so very much, which has been, it's, it, the experience has been phenomenal. Cool. That's awesome. All right, Dina, go for it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we have, um, so, so every once in a while we like to switch it up and sometimes Doug and I switch roles. So um, I had asked our guest to, to come onto the podcast because um, after listening to her, her speak at our school, I was just blown away at, you know, her, her experiences and I related to, to them so much and just, you know, love to hear the discussion around what it means to foster, you know, a great culture in your building and how crucial that is for, um, you know, your, your relationships with students and just fostering, you know, a, a great place to be. Um, and so uh, Dr. Taryn Fletcher is joining us tonight. So, <laughs> oh, you know what we need to do? We need to get like a background. Should we just like, the the <laughs> 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 Oh, my 
for the music. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I'll Doug, shut up. Doug likes to keep us on our toes. That I'll was shut fantastic. Up. <laughs> that's that's why I need him DJing one of my dances. <laughs> so, Taryn, thank you so much for, for joining us this evening. Yes. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we are really excited that you're here. So if you could just give us some... Um, some background on you and talk a little bit about, you know, like your experience, um, you know, in education. Yes. Well, again, thanks so much for having me. So yes, I am an author. I'm an educator um, with having served in many different roles inside the education system. Um, But what I'm most noted for now and in the work that I do is being a culturally responsive teaching expert and a coach to schools and school leaders and teachers um, who are really wanting to implement culturally responsive teaching practices. Um, And that's, that's allowed me to kind of start my business. And what I like to say I do best is I help leaders attract, train, and retain cultural rock stars. And so it's not an HR system or it's not a, a hiring process what it is, it's actually creating the systems internally and providing the people training. And with that teacher training, allowing students to have the fullest impact and benefit of their classroom simply by being culturally responsive and relevant in your teaching practices and in your skills to really engage the learner for who they are and value who they are. So that's the work I'm doing right right now. And I'm super passionate about it. And I think what makes me unique, because there's a lot of folks out there talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and I think it's great. I think the conversations are so needed. But I think with my experience having served as a classroom teacher, a classroom assistant first, classroom teacher, coach, I've been assistant principal, I've been a grade level chair, I've been a curriculum designer, I've been a deputy superintendent, I've been a regional executive director. Like so with all those different experiences, I think that what makes me unique is I really understand the classroom and find it to be the heartbeat of the work that happens in schools. And so I keep that relationship very sacred. I understand teachers, I understand what it's like to be in a school, and I think what I'm trying to do is to help teachers and educators actually advance equity through action. So less about awareness, although it's important, but after we're aware, what action steps are we doing? And those things need to be practical. They need to be doable um, in our classrooms and in our schools. And so that's what I help leaders do. Hey, can I jump in with a question? And oftentimes, Dr. Fletcher, what we do is we'll just ping pong off each other a little bit. So You mentioned how do you identify a cultural rock star? So I'm assuming that's, do you have a, I don't want to ask you for a stereotype, but can you, can you identify what are the key attributes of what you would say is a cultural rock star in a classroom? Yeah. So a cultural rock star 
Um, they are someone in the in the school, right? Um, an adult, I did preferably um, when thinking about training them. And so, a cultural rock star amplifies voice. They value inclusivity, and they culture cultivate the next generation of diverse leaders. So that's what a cultural rock star is, by my definition. Cool. And Dina, you brought up earlier about finding your voice. Yeah, it's um. So, um, Taryn, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that because I feel like you know, as I was listening to you talk about your story and finding your voice, like it was like you could have been telling my story. Um, and it just it like I I'm sitting here listening to you talk, and I was like, it's just like, and I remembered feeling the way that you were describing as I was going no. through school as well. So if you don't mind talking a, kind of about your story and what it was like for you to, to find your voice, I think that our listeners would really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and thanks for that. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great connection to have, but it's kind of sad that we have that same story, but, but uh, I agree. agree. <laughs> at the same time, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, you know what? Um, growing up, and I don't know if this is similar for for you, Doug, and um, I'm sorry. What was Gerard. 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 I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to mispronounce that. No, you're good. So I don't know if this is similar for you in that when you're little, and at least for me, when I was five years old, all I can really remember is just being excited about talking and sharing. Um, and it was just to share new ideas or share something I had just learned. I just wanted to pass on information and I wanted to collect it back too. And so I remember that being an exciting moment of school or whenever I was in a community environment where someone could give me interaction, I was, I was up for it. Mm. However, I learned really quickly. In fact, by the beginning of second grade, I learned very quickly that the teachers in my school, and it sounds like teachers in lots of other people's schools, did not appreciate an opinionated and talkative little person in their classroom. <laughs> and quite oh, frankly, oh my I God. Know- <laughs> Do you think your your race played into that, being a black woman too? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean right? let's put it all out there. I mean, that's what we do on this podcast. Absolutely. Um, But when you're little, you don't necessarily think that's what it is, right? Mm. Um, Seeing that my voice can easily be cut off today as a Black woman, I absolutely know race plays a part in that. But when I was younger, I didn't really understand at the time why my voice was less significant than others in the classroom. Mm. Um, in my first grade report card, I have it as proof. I share it in my presentation when I go to schools and talk with educators. I had not one positive comment on my report card, although I had really strong grades. But every single quarter, the comment was, she talks too much, much. she needs to mind her own business. And in fact, if she would just stop being so chatty, she might have a more successful year. Mm. So it was really clear, even today Mm. when I pull that report card out, that I wasn't valued for the very thing that actually I do today, which is go around and support leaders and educators and coach and support them. And I use my voice to do that. But that was just not welcomed 
when I was younger. And so what it did was I grew up to be someone who got comfortable playing it small. And I did that for most of my life and it served me well. I was considered a great student. I was reticent. I was quiet. I learned to smile and nod and people loved me. (laughs) And so (laughs) what you learn from that is that for me, particularly as a black woman, I needed to be palatable. I needed to be acceptable Mm -hmm. to other people. And the way that happened was if I played it small and didn't get in anyone's way. As an adult, though, I learned that. Right <laughs> oh, she got me on. She got me on fire right now. I know. Especially when she called you out, Gerard. She called you out. She said, Gerard. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Doctor Fletcher. I'm gonna piggyback off you. Okay, I want to hear from you, Gerard, because this. Is oh yeah, no, he's ready. I can tell when Gerard's ready to go. He's ready to go because I'm. I'm. I'm sit. I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm thinking about everything she said, and I'm like jotting down notes. When she talked about cultural relevancy. This is writing up right now. This is like, yep, yep, yep. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I won't interrupt anybody. No, you good. And then you said about, you know, awareness, because a lot of times as educators, when we embark on this work or holding PD, it's surface level. But I like how you said Mm -hmm. practice doable and in classrooms. So if there is someone listening that has a second grade Taryn in your class and they're getting good grades, but you're, you think they're talkative, something that doesn't even take a lot of, I don't understand, I don't know what to do would be to, to flip the switch of, okay, Taryn likes to engage, little second grade Taryn likes yeah. to engage with her peers. So, but she's good. She's, she has good grades and she's a high achiever. How about little Taryn become our little helper while me and my other co-teacher, if it's a co-teacher in the room, where we might not be able to get anybody, we can kind of trust Taryn to help out other kids and we're giving her a chance to talk. And exactly. she's you're helping develop her leadership skills and mm-hmm. like it's a win-win for everybody in the classroom. Now that's cultural culturally relevant to me rather than putting all that negativity on her report card. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Gerard. That's not what and I thought he- you were gonna say, Gerard. I gotta be honest. I thought you were going in. I mean, I agree with everything you just said, but it's not what I thought, I thought you were gonna tell us a story but from back in the day. But I appreciate the fact that you brought the positivity because I agree with you one hundred percent. And and I'll say this real quickly, Dr. Fletcher, and then you can jump in because you also called me out. Um, my five year old story was being the opposite of what you were. It was being obnoxious because I needed to be heard constantly. As a white male growing up who was super privileged, and I've told the story a million times, like I needed to be heard because that's what my parents were telling me. Like, you need to stand out from the crowd, whatever that meant. For me, it means being a joker and getting okay grades, but just, and I was never like a bully type. I always protected kids, but not being afraid to voice my opinion when needed, whenever it happened. Whatever the situation changed. was. Nothing's changed, dog. No, 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 no. I agree. I agree. Nothing's changed. But but, so my, but anyway, I'm just saying our all of our stories are certainly different. And I can appreciate yeah. yours. And, and and I've seen that play out. Being a principal for an elementary school, I can see that play out with some of the, the young black girls in, in, in my school in the past. It's like, damn, why? why? But anyway. Well, and it, it, carries, it carries into your adulthood. And that's the thing that I, I, yes. I don't think people always understand and get. And, you know, because I, I know a little bit more of, of Taryn's story, which I, I really so badly want you to get back to. Yes. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing that, like, I, I had a major, like, 
epiphany about, I, I'm trying to think at this point, it must've been, must've been three years ago. Um, I was, um, uh, Dr. Sheldon Akins does a, a leading equity course that I decided to sign up for and met a friend of the podcast, um, Michelle Newell. And I was talking about how sometimes I feel like I don't have like I, I don't have a voice to step up and say something. And I was discussing this out. And Michelle is not one to let you get away with anything. Like Nothing. she's she is not. And and nope. she calls you out in the most loving way possible. Um, but it was like she was like, Dana. <laughs> she's like, I don't even <laughs> want to hear this. You have a voice. And it was one of those situations where I'm like, you know, as being as privileged as I am, I, I can't let this be an excuse for me, you mm-hmm. know, but that, the, the feeling like I didn't have that, I carried that way into my adulthood. I mean, I'm in my mid forties and I carried that way into my adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. when, when you're putting these comments on a kid's report card, you know, and there's no recognition of how great and wonderful and fantastic they are. Um, and that these these things that they get so excited about when there's no recognition of this whole child in front of you and you're really just zoning in on things that you yourself find problematic, which is so coded, you know, just you you rob them of an opportunity to see their educational experience as anything other than and they take that with them and it becomes very, very trauma based. It becomes who they are. Yeah. 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 And that, think- that's what happened to me. I mean, I literally learned how to play school because I had to survive it. I had yeah. to be able to navigate this world. And that's what happens. I mean, any anyone in that situation would adapt as well, because what else are you going to do? You, right. you can't take being ridiculed over and over again. So you just learn the rules of that particular game and you play the game. And so- Quick question, because based on what Gerard asked you, what if you were treated differently in this second, I think the second grade, right? What if you were treated as a class pet or, and I, I don't want to say Gerard was describing that and Gerard, you can jump in anytime, but what if you were treated differently to take that leadership role? Do you think it would have changed your trajectory of who you are now? I don't think it would have changed who I am now, but the path yeah. to getting to who I am now would have been a lot smoother. Right? Gotcha. Mm, I knew that in my, in my mind, that's exactly what I was just thinking as Doug asked that question. Yeah. yeah, it would have been smoother because you know what I had to do? The very gift that I came to school with first day, I had to then jer- be- get on a long journey to find and regain again. Mm-hmm. And school should not be the place where we lose our very gifts and talents. That right. should be the place where I learn to expand them and use them at incredible high levels so that I can be great when I become an adult. I had to relearn those things. And that was yeah. because school taught me that I was either never enough or I was almost always too much. Right. And so it was very hard to find my space. And a lot in my life was about finding my voice, deciding on what I wanted, being who I wanted, and not trying to just play small or acclimate to someone else's palate. And you had to overcome versus succeed at times. Yeah, I mean, I did, I did well. You at had school. to overcome obstacles. Yeah, I did yeah. well at school, but I did well at the school someone else want the the school experience that my teachers wanted me to have, as opposed to 
maybe being in a position to explore my gifts and talents and having the the learning space for that to actually happen. Right. Hmm. That's deep. Yeah, that was, and that it, it's very, very similar to that. And it, you know, it's like I said. I mean, I it took me well into my forties to really start, you know, figuring out that I had that voice. Um, and and you, when you're going through that, you don't think other people are experiencing something similar. And then as you get into adulthood, and you share these stories out, you find out that there are a lot of other people who are in very similar situations to you. Um, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, one of the things that ended up transpiring for me is, you know, you, t- you teach how you know, and looking back on my years of my earlier years of, of being a teacher, I think I did the very thing to kids that I didn't want to happen to me. And yeah. Yeah. I've, mm-hmm. I'm just now getting to a point where it's like, you know, I've changed up how I've done things significantly, but it's like, you know, you just, you end up perpetuating the same kinds of harm that you, you never wanted to have happen to you. Yeah. I mean, here, here's what happened. I mean, I wound up being a a young divorced mother. So I was 23 years old. I am divorced at this time. And, you know, even after all of that, you, your next step is to like figure out the world around you. And (laughs) it wasn't until I was sitting with my young black son that I realized that I have to speak my truth. I have to be myself at this point. I have to live my story out loud. I have to contribute my voice in any and all spaces if that's what I choose. And the reason being is because my son needed to see that. Mm. Because guess what? If he becomes what society or some other person wants him to be simply because he is getting stories and messages that he can't show up at his, as himself, his life is at stake. Yeah. So yeah. I had to be the example. And now and I'm just continuing that. Oh, I'm sorry. Mm, no, nah, that just that just I thought you say something, Drag. I know you got just, a son. <laughs> hey, as a black man with a black son, that resonated with me right there. Yeah. Yeah. Most yeah. certainly. That's very powerful. And I I have the same um, you know, my my son struggles sometimes to express himself effectively. And one of my concerns has always been him not ending up in a similar situation to me. And it's like, you know, we want to, we want to be able to teach him how to communicate well with others and how to use his voice, but not to lose his, his own sense of self in the process of that. And that was as his mom, that's where I become super protective, you know, and it's like, I don't want him to ever feel like his voice needs to be diminished to make somebody else comfortable or happy. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Fletcher, not to turn it a little bit and we can definitely come back to the yeah. story of you who you are but tell us i know one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about was your consulting work so can you describe for us a little bit about what that entails or what you're doing around that space sure so just in my experiences having served at different levels of school leadership um and and really let's just like kind of even think about the climate right now and that 
you know, they're surmounting responsibilities for school leaders, whether it's state level, district level, or school level leaders. Um, There's little time, there's limited resources, and there's a ton of educator burnout. And I don't know if y'all are following this, but this great resignation that we see, it's its like one in four educators were considering to of leaving their profession because they felt unprepared and devalued. And those are for many, many different reasons. Mm-hmm. But the unprepared part is something that I think we can see in literature decades and decades, you know, uh, in the past. There's a lot of literature that talks about how Teachers just don't feel always prepared to be in front of the various types of learners that they have inside their classrooms. And I got to see that firsthand with the many school observations that I was, you know, in a, in a, the, the place of responsibility to do. And so we also know the statistic around 80% of our teachers are white and female. And so I know there's a lot of energy around diversifying our workforce. I just happen to come from the school of thought that, yes, that is important and we need to do that. However, we need to really prepare and equip our current workforce with culturally responsive teaching practices and relevant pedagogical skills, because guess what? These teachers in front of them, whether they're 80% white, 10%, whatever, They are in front of our students now, and they are the ones that are cultivating our next leaders, and they are the ones that are inspiring our next teachers. So if you think about why we don't have a plethora of minorities coming into education, let's have a minute to talk about the experiences of Black and Brown and minority students in education, and let's just make a connection that perhaps school wasn't best fitted for them. Perhaps they didn't see themselves reflected in their school environment, in their instruction. Perhaps perhaps they never felt valued showing up exactly as who they are, and therefore, they're probably not rushing to become a teacher. <laughs> right? I mean, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Right? I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Taryn, to, to, to enhance your point about preparedness, I'm, I think a lot of times, too, where a lot of school districts kind of miss the mark when it comes to preparation, they 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 look at the instructional piece of cultural um, relevance, but miss the like one thing I'm real big on right now I've been looking think looking at looking at articles and you know coaching people up on is parental contact and what I mean by that is think about your report card and what was on your report card and let's say you're not one that overcame that so you still have that part of quote unquote mm-hmm. trauma from second grade so if yeah. we have teachers that don't understand uh, okay, so if little if Taryn Jr. is in class and is having these these concerns and teacher having these concerns, yeah, the parental the conversation with mom has to like I think a lot of teachers gotta be taught what to say and oh, to yeah. and yeah. what to, yeah. and the approach you need to have and it's not like a lot of times you got to be real savvy on how you bring that message across where it doesn't already start set off and one or two words can set off an adversarial conversation that has the teacher feeling like I didn't say anything wrong. No, but what you, how you said it was. And now you have, sometimes you may sometimes like, let's say that's a second grade parent, third, fourth and fifth grade 
teachers may still have to deal with that parent still having that negative interaction in second grade. So it's like, yeah. now, now I'm holding all teachers accountable. Like, right. I'm, I'm going to be on y'all behinds. That's cultural threat. We yes. talked about this before. Cultural threat goes both ways. And, and I'm not saying that, that I'm not, this is not an all lives matter moment, but what I'm saying is cultural threat affects the white people and the black people because the white teacher goes into that conference thinking this person already thinks I'm a racist and I, it had to be white or black. It could be a brown, mm -hmm. it, it could be an Asian, whatever. They already go in thinking this person's going to think I'm a racist off the bat. So that's their cultural threat. I'm not saying it's justified. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what happens. And then the black yeah, parents I mean, going into that same conversation thinking the white teacher is racist or, or something along those lines. They're not going to treat my kid fairly. And I think that stereotype has – go ahead. I'm done. Yeah. So so first off, Gerard, you're 100% right. Teachers need to be given the tools that are practical and actionable. And, yes, sometimes mm -hmm. that does include here's what you need to say. And it's not so that you skip, stick to a, a script so that you have a starting place for when you are not sure what to say. And so yeah. what I learned through my experience is that school leaders in particular, who are supporting teachers every single day, they need a comprehensive plan that works alongside what the state is saying is our, the new initiative and what the district is saying what the new initiative is, because they need a plan that has coaching support for their teachers. They need a plan that has targeted training. And that's not necessarily up to the leader to facilitate. Because when you're trying to get folks to implement culturally responsive teaching practices and relevant pedagogy, you can't be learning that and trying to implement it. It's very hard to do that. And so the work that I do is to be that support to school leaders to help implement these practices by being actually the comprehensive coach to their teachers while actually delivering the training to help them implement culturally responsive teaching practices. So it's not something that is happening with the, the leader having to add one more thing to their plate and learn it and implement it. It's actually done with them in the process. And Doug, to your point, hmm. I do want to yeah, call yeah. out that culture is not just race and ethnicity. Culture mm -hmm. is all culture is static, meaning it is race and ethnicity and my actual like um, heritage and ancestral belonging, but it's also communal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so this is this is why this training has to be done and it has to be ongoing. We cannot say, oh, yeah, I'm diversified, checked off that box, had that awareness training. Yup. And the reason being is because culture is ever changing. It's yeah. ever evolving and it evolves in everyone's lives differently. So I share this story with um, Deanna at the, the school um, presentation. I learned just almost two years ago that I'm now a part of another community, uh, another culture that wasn't a part of me prior to my son was born with down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so I now am a part of a family and mm -hmm. new culture is a part of my existence and my identity and my son's identity that wasn't a part of our culture before. And so sure. as I evolve, as my family evolves and moves in and out of different cultural communities, so do I, I change. And so yeah. 
that's happening in everyone's lives. But we tend to only focus on race um, because I just think like that can sometimes give us an out like, oh, I just don't understand. But it's like, there's lots of ways you can connect understanding even about cultural identity and racial identity when you really understand the full definition of culture. Yeah. And my brother was a blue gold all-star child in 1984. My parents started the parent foundation for kids with Down syndrome in like 84. So like, I understand your struggle and what you're going through. So that is a culture that I'm a part of. And I've always been rocking socks and and doing, I've been a unified player with my brother forever. So you and I can talk after this about the culture that we we can talk with some other things we talked about pregame, but I'm not going to bring it up here because we have a weirder connection. I definitely need to hear the answers to Um, very much, but not a part of this podcast. Um, It's a number and we're going to talk, but I will say this to your point. And I, and I agree with you hundred percent, but I know this to, be a not a fact i'm gonna say mm-hmm. this is fat feelings not facts yeah. feelings as a white person when you live in a predominantly white culture community mm-hmm. whatever your biggest mm-hmm. fear is being called a racist or yeah, having to talk to a black person and thinking that because that's that's the again it, it, that's the the, the, the greatest American sin, right? There, there's no way around it. It is. And we have yeah. never atoned for it. We've never apologized for it. There's never been reparations for it. There's never been this coming to Jesus moment. And I'm not religious necessarily, but there's never been that through our government to say to white people, okay, we can now get past it. Not that we can ignore it or, or not deal with it, but that is still the number one thing for us. But I agree with you. Yeah. That can't be yeah. the beginning, middle and end of the conversation. It can't be. But that's kind of the mentality sometimes, especially when we're talking about white teachers, they can't get past step B because they can't deal with their own thought about being called a racist. And once you can get past that and not deal with the word you're a racist, deal with the adjective or or the verbs around what you do that is racist, because I do racist things probably or have racist thoughts all day long, but I wouldn't call myself a racist. Like I work every day to become a better person for all people. But, you know, it's still I always have to kind of check my filter at times. I'm like, damn, like. Really? I just did that again in my head, you know, in my head. But like, really, that happened again. Like, I can't. I'm 43 years old. Like, that happened again. So, yeah, that's my real talk. But go ahead. Doug, can I? OK, because I want to share. I, I 100 percent believe you in that, because when I talk to yeah. teachers, that's what they say. Like, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't I don't want to say anything. Right. That offends. I don't want to mess up. And it's real. I don't want to talk. I want to listen. I want to listen. I listen. Stop listening. Yeah, stop, it's stop a real talking. Fear. Go ahead. <laughs> and so yes, here, here are some things that I, I tried again, tangible action steps. Yes. Here's what I share with educators who come from that, that concern. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I share with them is when entering a conversation or feeling as if a conversation about race is going to happen. And you're the first triggering thought is, I don't want to be called a racist. I don't know how I'm going to fit in this conversation. The first step is to opt into the conversation, but yes. take a learner stance. Gotcha. And that is what is often missing that first step, right. is mm-hmm. taking a learner stance. And it's even a stance that people of color can do when they opt into a conversation to take the learner stance. Because the second step is to really intently listen to the lived experience and when I say listen intently, the purpose of listening is to actually build a new perspective that's right. going to add to your repertoire of perspectives that you came to the conversation with. 
Right. That makes sense. Yes, because when you do that, the third step is to then create space and time for authentic con- connections. Doug, we just did that, right? You didn't know what cultures I was a part of. I shared mm-hmm. something with you. And what did you say without any prompting? My brother. We need to talk. Let's talk <laughs> more. Right. Because you started the conversation with me probably subconsciously by opting into this conversation, taking a learner stance, listening intently to my lived experience. And then you jumped right in and actually did the third step all on your own, which was make an authentic connection. And then I bet only because I know you a bit, (laughs) I think when you go home or when your day is done tonight, you're actually going to explore a little bit more of this conversation and, and reflect on how could any new experiences or perspectives that I share actually fit into your world? I bet yeah. you're probably going to do that at some point. Dr. Fletcher, you are good. You are good. <laughs> yes, she is. Do, yes, she is. This and these you are, are good. Steps. This is what I teach teachers. And so I get it. I know. I. That's why when you said that, I knew you were telling the truth and you were being honest. I hear it all the time. Yeah. I don't want to be called racist. I don't want to get it wrong. But we can go into conversations with that intention and get exactly what we intended to get. Yeah. And that's it's, awesome. Go ahead, it's interesting because, you know, we we've had conversations on and off as we've recorded episodes for the podcast about, you know, we we so badly when you know when you are, you know, reflecting on, you know, biases that you have in your experiences, in your thoughts, and all these things that kind of lead into, you know, uh, making a, a choice to behave in a certain way or what have you, that we all want to check off a box because it's so easy Mm -hmm. and it feels good. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's, you know, Oh, it's just, it's so easy to do. So let me do, let me do this thing because it's going to make me feel a little bit better. And when you boil it all down, you shouldn't be doing it because it makes you feel better. You should be doing it because it's what's best for humans across the board, you know, which in the end, it will make you feel better, you know, because when you make good choices and you treat people humanely that that does come with a sense of authenticity and pride and all the things that go with that. Um, but we just, we want to check those boxes off so badly, you know, it just didn't be able to say, okay, well, I'm, I've done this and it's, it becomes very performative. And Mm -hmm. in the end, it doesn't result in changed behavior, which is really, I think in the end, what we all really want and need. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I mean, but you know, I th- I kind of think I can pick on educators a little bit because I'm one, right? We're all one. Go um, for it. Tonight's the night to do it. I got like, your back. You got totally educators in the room. Like I, we're yeah. actively involved. Like we got yes. your back. Bring Dr. it. Bring yeah. it. Go ahead. Do okay, what you want to say. So I think educators like to check on off boxes like more than any. Yeah, I think so. And here's why I think, right? So this is completely an opinion, but has some research to support. But I think it's because of even our natural cultural environment inside schools is very much evaluative at times. And there's a, a critical lens on educators often um, there's so many people that teachers feel like they have to try 
And I don't want to use the word please, but nothing else is coming up better for me. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when we start to make school a place of learning for even the adults, not saying that we're experimenting on kids and you can come in and just practice on other people's children, because I do believe that teachers need to have an expertise. I do. And I think their expertise should be in teaching children, right? However, I think there should be a lot more grace given to our teachers so that they can actually breed the very culture that allows for learning to take place, which is a culture of mistakes that happen, Um, a culture of there, I have a place of learning. There is some grace that I can be given. And when we do that, right, we being leaders, when we create space for teachers to have grace, I think we might start to lean away from, I check that off, I got that box, um, because they'll see that this work is about a journey. It's not actually about, I got my degree, I'm done. Culturally responsive teaching practices, is it's ongoing. It's completely Mm -hmm. ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. Do you guys have anything more before we jump into the uh, rapid response questions that I prepared in advance? We have not talked about the book. Oh, jeez. I am so sorry. (laughs) Thank you, Dina. We got to get you the book. Thank you, Dina. Thank you, Dina. (laughs) Okay. I'll I'll talk about it really quickly. So um, So during the pandemic, right, while I was homeschooling, uh, nursing a baby, um, doing all the things, I decided to also write a book. Um, however, the book- <laughs> You have so much time on your hands. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. I'll shut up. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the book is loosely, um, it's loosely based off of my dissertation. And my dissertation was around uh, implementing culturally responsive teaching practices and teacher self-efficacy. So I kind of took that topic, which was very- <laughs> research-based and took my experiences of being a principal in South Philly, being a superintendent, um, being a mother, parenting Black children, parenting a Black son as a single mother. I took all of those experiences and I created a guide for new leaders with action steps on how to begin the process of implementing culturally responsive teaching practices, empowering children of color, and also rethinking school. Mm. It's so important that we actually start to rethink our routines. And I know that that's a hard thing to do, especially since we are coming back from two years of not being inside buildings with students. All we want to do is go back to normal. This book is actually saying, hey, peeps, there's a new normal. And perhaps we should not just go right back to the same cycle we've been in pre-COVID. Let's like change this thing to make sure school has a cultural reboot and it fits Mm -hmm. every learner that actually comes into our classrooms. Yeah. That's awesome. There's been, there's been so much, um, and I, I believe in our conversation, Taryn, I, I, I believe you said you're not on Twitter much. I know. Um, I need some help, y'all. Y'all got to help. <laughs> oh, we can help you out there. There has been a lot of going back and forth about, you know, um, where kids, quote unquote, are supposed to be. So, we you know, we've talked, I think, at exhaust, <laughs> exhaustion of the, you know, the, the learning loss myth and, you mm-hmm. know, what people like to attach to what 
what should be or, you know, what have you. But there's also been a lot of commenting lately about kids not, you know, coming back and not knowing how to function and behave themselves. And, and it, it just, I, I feel like it's almost putting a lot of pressure on beings whose brains are not fully developed and are going yeah. to make bad choices, you know, yeah. cause that's, that's what you do because you know, you're, you're going up and you're learning and sometimes you say things you shouldn't. Sometimes you behave in a way that you shouldn't behave in, but we also see, have seen an onslaught of behaviors because I think for some kids, they just, they, they're, pushing back against a system that they feel restricted within. And so I think there's a lot of factors in play and people really want to generalize it and put it into this. Kids nowadays don't know how to behave. And people said the same thing. Adults said the same thing about like kids, my age, you know, when I was, when I was young, it was the same thing about us. And I'm sure the generation before me had the same thing said about them. So I, it's just, I feel like kids are responding in a way that makes sense now because, because of given what we've had to all deal with. Um, Yeah. And you know what? Teachers are pushing back too. Like when I talk to my like uh, leaders that I'm working with, they often will say like, man, I can't like the, the adults can't get it together. Like there's so many things happening. And my pushback to them is like, listen, why is it that we have to e- immediately go back to the way school opening was before when mm-hmm. there are so right. many things that are different about the world today? Again, I think we can become very routine, but it's the very routines that traditionally stay in place that further marginalize groups of people. And so- Part of my work with schools and teachers is to really help them see a full framework of what it means to uphold cultural responsibility and really advance racial and social equity in their schools. And one of the first things we do is we rethink routine. Let's look at our everyday actions and systems and structures and really ask ourselves, who do they really work for? Do they mostly work for the adults or do they mostly work for the children? And where is it that we need to make tweaks so that we really create a culture of belonging? So, right. That is. Dr. Taryn Fletcher. Gerard, you got anything else? Or Dina? I want to share the name of my book. So, it's Sorry. Sorry. In All Lanes Action Steps for New Leaders to Empower Black and Brown Students, Rethink School, and Transfer Behavior. It is available on Amazon. And if I could give a shout out, when it released, I had no clue. Like, honestly, when you write a book and you drop it in Amazon, it's like a puff of dust comes up because it like just (laughs) drops in the Amazon world. (laughs) But within a day or two, I want to say two days, it was a number one new release in educational leadership, um, higher education administration, and inclusive teaching methods. So it was well received from the week, the first week of release. It's only been out for six months. Say the title one more time. In all lanes. In our lanes. Action steps for new leaders to empower black and brown students, rethink school, and transform behavior. Awesome. That is cool. That is so cool. Thank you. uh, Yeah, that's awesome. Gerard, Dean, you got anything else before we uh, 
I, I hit Taryn with two questions and then we were out. Oh, <laughs> hit, hit her with the questions because yeah. my notebook is filling up. All right. Back to Taryn Fletcher. Do not leave after the podcast. You have to hang on. I, I forgot to sure. tell you that before the podcast. But anyway, all right. Are you ready? The first I'm one ready. is a little bit of a serious question. The second one is a little bit of a funny question. So I'm going to give you a okay. heads up. All right. So what is more important when doing this work? Compassion or action? Oh, okay. Rapid fire. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be your first thoughts. We're not thinking about this, and it gotta be the short response. Compassion. <laughs> okay. All right. Second question. Remember, this is the funny one. So go ahead, just tell me what you're thinking. <laughs> when can you be too woke? Hmm. <laughs> when can you be too woke? When? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, here, here's what I'll say. All right, go ahead. I don't know like a when because I'm immediately thinking about a like you want a scenario or situation, but I, I will care. say this. I definitely think that I have even caught myself pre-thinking the actions of mm. my white co- counterparts simply because I am fearful that the experiences I've had before will revisit themselves. And there have been many times that I have been wrong. And there have been times where I thought I would get 100% love and and reception from people who look like me. And those were people, in some cases, who created some of the most barriers. Coming from 15 years into education now, you know, what can I do to create this equitable space? And, like, you know, what especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people, connect with more people whose mindset and goals. All right, this is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.